0: To turn to the Bible together and uh, Psalm 51. The Psalms are wonderful, um, wonderful part of the scriptures. And they're stories and songs of experience. And why we relate to them so well is because we understand them. Some of them express anger, some of them express frustration, some of them express the wonder of creation, and we relate to each one because we do that in our lives. They are songs of experiencing, experience expressing the deepest feelings we have, but directing those feelings to God. And Always the Psalms brings us back to expressing those things to God. So Psalm 51, and as uh, Edward encouraged us, there are bits that don't appear on the uh, screen, which if you're reading it from your own Bible, they may have this. For the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The offerings of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then balls will be offered on your altar. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light to our path. And by your spirit, may we hear what you would have us hear tonight. And not only to hear it, but that you would change our hearts. Bend us, make us pliable to your will and your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you may have heard this story before, sent an anonymous telegram to 12 of his best friends, so-called, and it just simply read, Flee at once, all is discovered all it said. Flee at once, all is discovered. The story goes that all 12 of them had left the country within 24 hours. I hope you've never had a telegram like that. And if Edward's very naughty and sends an email around tonight, we'll know who it is. Interestingly, as we begin this psalm, that introduction, wouldn't it be awful if something that had happened in our lives, the blackest moment of our lives, the worst thing about us would be made into a song? Isn't it interesting, for the director of music, this psalm of David has been put to music. And it recalls his adultery with Bathsheba. Now, I don't know if we'd be rushing to see Ali or Anna afterwards and Henry said, I've got a real story I'd love you to put to music. No one? Or our most shameful things... ...projected on the screen for everyone to see. We wouldn't want that, would we? It's amazing that David... ...this amazing man of God... ...pours out his heart in this way. It's called a penitential psalm. And penitential just means repentant. And it comes out of one of David's blackest moments... Explores the depths of his guilt. And if any of you have ever felt guilty about anything, this psalm will speak to you. And you will be able to actually use it as a prayer. It also teaches us about the farthest reaches of God's love. There are words written for individuals. I believe these are words written for nations. The greatness of our God. The context of this psalm, if you want to read the whole story, is in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. It just begins with the words, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. It's estimated that David was now in his mid-40s. David, who was an amazing man of God. I don't know if you can remember Sunday school lessons, what you learned about David. Probably David and Goliath would be one of the stories. How David, just with a sling, took on a giant of the Philistines and defeated him in the power of God. He was a military hero. He was a great king and he was a poet as well and wrote many, many songs. It is said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. Yet he was just a man, just a man. And he had weaknesses as well. Maybe he'd stayed at home because he felt he'd done enough fighting. Maybe he stayed at home because he was going through a midlife crisis. Maybe he'd lost that energy. But he was actually at the pinnacle of his powers. The kingdom that he oversaw was the greatest that Israel had ever known. It was the golden age of Israel. And maybe he thought, well, I can just relax. And so in the spring, when the kings go off to war, David stayed at home. Instead of accompanying his troops, he stayed behind. And we're told in the story in Samuel, one evening, he was in bed. He couldn't sleep. He got out of bed. He went to walk on the roof of his palace. And I don't know why, whether it was in the middle of the night, but from the roof of his palace, he saw Bathsheba having a bath. Why she was having a bath at midnight, or I don't? We're not told. But he saw her. and he wanted her. We're told that she was very beautiful. But in temptation, God always gives us a way out. And here was the first way out for David. He didn't know who she was. And you read the story, and he actually sends one of his uh, uh, entourage to find out who she is. And the message come back, she is Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite was one of his army officers. If you read the story of Uriah, he was one of 30 great men of God who surrounded David in those early years when he was fighting for his life against Saul. Uriah was a mighty warrior. That was the first way out. She belongs to someone else. But Uriah was away at the war, and David was king, and he could have anything he wants. So he sends for her, and he sleeps with her. And maybe he's thinking it's a one-night stand no one will ever know. He's king after all. It could all be taken care of. But Bathsheba falls pregnant. And you can only cover that up for so long. So he conjures up a plan. You see, his first thought was to cover up what he had done wrong. Now, I know you're all sitting there thinking, no, we'd never do that. We'd never make up excuses for what we've done wrong. We'd never try and. Human nature, that's it. We try and cover up. Reminded me of Lance Armstrong. All those years he was cheating. All those years he said, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Until he meets up with Oprah Winfrey. Spills it all. David thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll send for Uriah. He'll come back from the battle. He'll sleep with his wife. And then that'll be covered. We'll falsify the birth certificates and then Bob's your uncle, you know, or David is rather. Simple plan. There's another way out. Tell Uriah, own up. No. So he sends for Uriah. Uriah comes back on the sort of very flimsy premise. He, David says, well, I've called you back just to ask you, how's it going? How's Joab? How are the soldiers Uriah was a noble man, a good man, an honorable man. And there was no way that he was going to sleep with his wife while his friends were fighting on the front line, risking their necks in battle, defending the king's realm. So 3 days and 3 nights he would not go home. It infuriated David, he won't go home. So David wines and dines him and gets him drunk. Because once he's drunk, he'll go home. But no, even a drunk Uriah was infuriatingly noble. And he shames the king. And then it escalates. As sin often does. Now sin, if you're wondering what it is, is just falling short of the glory of God. We're sinners because we're not perfect like God is perfect. So actually we're all sinners. Because we're not perfect. But there are consequences of the sins that we take part in, that we commit. And the serious turn comes when David begins to think, How can I engineer Uriah's death? His friend, one of the 30 who had been with him in all those battles just to cover up his sin. He'd have him killed in action. And then, after a suitable funeral with military honors and a time of mourning, he'd marry the grieving widow and adopt the unborn child as his son. It would be seen as fitting, a gracious gesture in the memory of a national hero. He's thought it all through. No one would know. And you see how far he's gone, this man after God's own heart. No one would know. No one? all because he was idle all because he lusted and he didn't realize that wars don't just happen over there there is a war here as well a battle for his heart and soul enemy tactic Isn't that a saying that we use? The devil finds work for idle hands to do. It's actually in our vocabulary. And Watergate and Iran Gate and all the other gates you can think of pale into Sunday school picnics in comparison with David's plan. He sends word to Joab the commander. He says, when Uriah comes back, put him in the front line of the battle and then fall back. Leave him on his own. Just fall back. And send me word. And they do. Joab, in the battle, Uriah's in the front line and they fall back and Uriah is killed. How far has he fallen? And it worked. Uriah was killed in action. And David married Bathsheba. And she bore the son. There, son. There, it's all sorted. I'm sure David hoped it would all end there. Nice and neat. No one would ever know. How far has he fallen? No one would ever know. And he may have thought, I've broken at least three of the Ten Commandments, but I've managed to get away with the 11. Thou shalt not be found out. It's The one we like to put in there. Of all people, David should have known that God saw everything. We read one of his Psalms. You have searched me, O God. You know me. You put me together in my mother's womb. You know my thoughts, my words before I even speak them. But he covered it up. But sins can't just be covered up. They have to be dealt with. And God, if you read the story, sends a prophet to the king. prophet's called Nathan. How brave is Nathan? You don't think he's brave. He was pretty brave to confront the king but he tells him a story he wasn't brave enough to say David you've done real bad he says I want to tell you a story there was a rich man and a poor man and the rich man had lots of cattle lots of animals and the poor man had only one lamb and he loved it as his own child and it slept with the family And then visitors came to see the rich man, and the rich man wanted to have a party and wanted to have a feast. So he pinches the poor man's lamb, not his own, and uses it for his banquet. And Nathan tells the story to King David, and King David's livid, and he says, That is outrageous. That man has to die for doing such a thing. Nathan says, you're the man. That's you. And in the context, the Lord says to David, I gave you everything. And if it had been too little, I would have given you more. But you have done evil in my eyes. Even now, David has a choice. He's powerful enough. He's the king. He can throw Nathan out. He can deny everything. But at this moment, he breaks. And he writes this psalm. This isn't made up stuff. This is real stuff. He writes this psalm from the depths of his heart. Temptation... Is always a choice. And David's sin has been found out. And judgment is pronounced. The son died. And there would be conflict in David's house. For generations. The sword shall never depart from your house. David flings himself upon God, and we see his heart exposed. What do we do with our sin? What do we do with it? cover it up we try and turn over a new leaf and be better people what do we do with our sin David shows us and whether our sin is nothing like his or a bit like his he knows that he's grieved God and it hurts him And that's always a good sign when we know that we have hurt God and grieved Him. Because when we get to a place in our lives where we don't care what God thinks anymore, we've probably lost it completely. He has grieved God. And David is broken. And the test of true repentance Is that it's genuine? David is broken, undone, guilty, as charged, and he cries out to God. And he breaks over his sin. And some of us might say, well, it's too late, mate. All the harm's done. And there, there are consequences. There were consequences. But he throws himself on God's mercy and grace. Because he, he knows only God can forgive. Only God can restore. Only God can wash clean. Only God is his hope. No, we may not have sinned, as David did. But when we read Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're so challenged about lust being like adultery, and hatred being like murder, we all stand in need of a Saviour. No matter how we cover it up, He is the only one who can forgive, restore, Wash clean. Salvation is only possible through a broken Savior. When we celebrate communion together, this is my body which is for you. In Gethsemane when Jesus prayed, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. His will was broken. Not my will, but yours be done. There is one antidote to sin. And that is the cross. That is the gracious love of God. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. And David, a man after God's own heart, just throws himself on the mercy of God. Genuinely repentant. He has no strength at all. He doesn't stand on his greatness or his wealth or his achievements could have bargained with God I've done all this for you God I've. he just comes totally undone found out dependent knowing that he deserves nothing we may think that it was only when he was found out that he did this well maybe that's true But he wrote it down. It wasn't hushed in a little corner. Because when leaders sin, although it's not more or worse than anybody else, it has effects on everyone. He knew that he had something to say to the nation of Israel it to music. I love the songs we sang tonight. There were songs with the words pain and hurt in them. Honest songs. David pours out his heart to God. It's a man who fell spectacularly and God had given him ways out on Every step of the way, there was a way out, there was a way out, there was a way out. And then David, just in that utter moment of darkness, throws himself utterly on God, his king, his Lord. David compares himself to a garment that just needs washing and washing again. Felt unfit for God's presence, but he came. That's the key. Sometimes when we feel we want to hide from God because of something in our lives, that's the time we need to come right up front with him and say, God, you know me. Because David realizes just how far the infection went. It went beyond Bathsheba, it went beyond Uriah, it went to his very character. And his heart. And so he asks God for a new heart. Give me a new heart. See, when we come to the cross of Jesus, we don't just come for a minor repair job. God, will you just put a sticking plaster over us? We come for a new heart. Cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me whiter than snow. Snow's really white, isn't it? You know, when it's just fallen. It's like on back ends when you see the sheep uh, against the green background. And you, yeah. think, you think the sheep are white. You know, the fluffy white things on the feet. And then it snows and you see the sheep there and they look really Filthy. Because the whiteness of the snow just makes it so stark. Wash me. Wash me clean. Make me whiter than the snow. Don't cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. That was his fear, wasn't it? And you know why he had that fear? Because of Saul before him. When Saul was found out. He didn't repent, and he turned away from God, and he sought out witches and mediums. And God withdrew his spirit from him. David says, whatever you do, God, don't abandon me. Whatever I've done, don't abandon me. Humbled himself. And we come as those who have fallen in our lives. And we come to Jesus who has paid the price for us. It's not a sticking plaster we need, it's the cleansing blood of Jesus that washes away all our sins so we do not carry it anymore. That when Jesus speaks forgiveness over you, he takes it away. It's not that weight on your shoulders that you have to carry around for life. Because of that thing, that incident, whatever happened, you carry it for life. When Jesus forgives, he cuts it off. He took it away. Sin and our rebellion can rob us of our relationship with God because it just blocks and blocks. But repentance, genuine, when we just come and pour out our heart to God and we're sorry, we want to turn again and go God's way, and He comes. I think sometimes in the church we're forgetting. I mean, Edward and I have talked about this, about the importance of the cross. It's great to feel the love of God and it's great to feel the fellowship and all, but we're only here because Jesus died for us. For our sin. He didn't just come and say, They're there, He died for our sins. you and I are in a more privileged position than even David. Because we look to the cross. The blood of Christ. Which cleanses us of all our sin. And in the cross we see God's unfailing love and compassion towards us. But only we can repent. Only we can come in faith. We have no rights to his grace. It's undeserved, unmerited. But we can receive it and seek him as David did in humility and brokenness on our knees. We're praying for revival. And we're keeping on praying for revival because we know so many who are lost all around us, who need to know of Jesus' love for them, that this is crucial, that this life is not all there is. And as you read the stories of revivals, there is always a move to holiness within God's people, a turning away from sin, a getting right with God, even to people who think they're already right with God. Because suddenly they see God as we see the snow and the sheep. Oh, well, all right, really. And then we see God's holiness. When the Spirit of God falls on the people who are right with Him, amazing things happen. In these psalms that we've been looking at, we've seen just the variety, the wonder of creation. Last week when we looked at, you know, Psalm 8 was fantastic, just the greatness of our God. But they also challenge us right to the heart. And if we were to say tonight, as we will in a few moments, search me, O God. And we have a moment just to get right with him. maybe we are all right with him, but maybe we just need to come before him and just throw ourselves once again on his mercy and grace. Because as we sung earlier, when we're in Christ, nothing can separate us, nothing, because we're in Christ Jesus. David came and threw himself on the Lord's. And he was restored. And from David's line, Jesus came. Go to Bethlehem, town of David. Today is born a savior. Let's pray together. Let's be still before God. Lord, you know us completely. Nothing is hidden from you. And so we ask that you would come by your Spirit. As we throw ourselves upon you, search our hearts. And if there's anything you want to or need to confess, just come before Jesus tonight. Just in the quietness of your own heart, you may want to kneel or just sit. And receive tonight his forgiveness. It's not conditional of you earning it, it's just asking. that we might be a people right with him. Wrong attitudes, wrong hearts, wrong words. if the Lord pinpoints something that he wants you to put down, I encourage you tonight not to run from that, but to make a commitment that you will, that you will leave it here tonight when you leave. And he says, put that down, lay that down, turn away from it. Lord, will your healing come? Will your cleansing come? For those who have carried guilt for something that they have repented of, that the enemy just keeps pressing in and you've forgiven, Lord, I pray you lift it in the name of Jesus and bring freedom. The freedom that you came to bring. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer to be subject to slavery. As we confess our sins, we are forgiven, set free, not condemned. And so we come with open hearts to you tonight, Lord. Will you fill us with your spirit? As we turn to you again.